1: From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented
2: by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
0: If you're subscribed to me at johnconzano.com, you received in real time this morning in your email inbox, my column on Fred and Diane Hope. Now, I'm not going to spoil the whole column, I'm not going to read it to you here and now, but I'm going to tell you there is a gift buried in that column. I know when I was writing it, I had a smile on my face. Fred and Diane, I met them years ago. Um, I'm just going to tell you, if you think there's nothing to see this football season, this basketball season, I would tell you to look again. Check it out at johnkanzano.com, Grab a free subscription. Grab a paid subscription. Whatever works for you, do it. And uh, if you do that, you will get it in real time. Uh, and you can read it at your convenience. It will be delivered right to your email inbox. If you want to check it out, just go to johnconzano.com. Kyle Whittingham. And Utah, they will host Oregon State on Saturday at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Uh, really big football game. Now, I am told, you know, we dialed up Kyle Whittingham for this interview, and I, we expected we would get his administrative assistant. Like Utah said, here's the phone number, you call it, you get his administrative assistant. No, 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 no. Kyle Whittingham answering his own damn phone these days. If It begs a question. Coach, thank you for joining us. Coach. Uh, what's going on? You're answering your own phone
3: these days? Hell yes. I'm not too big for that. What do you mean? I love Come that. On. I love
1: that.
0: I think people get the idea that football coaches don't answer their own phone. I don't know if they park their own car, but Kyle Whittingham, man of the people. All right. How much game film are you guys watching of last year's Oregon State game?
3: Oh, a lot. I mean, they, they took it to us, uh, particularly with our defense. Yeah. Um, couldn't stop the run i mean they, they they ran the ball on us very efficiently and and that was the difference in the game i mean uh, you know, offensively we played pretty decent but uh we just couldn't get any stops when we needed to and and uh that was uh, the thing that did us in
0: i always look at college coaches and we expect what do we want we want consistency you probably want consistency but you're dealing with 18 19 20 year old kids <laughs> i have one yeah. of those in my household Uh, You know, it's not all that consistent all the time, so how do you manage that as a coach?
3: Yeah, well, you're looking, uh, you know, for a culture in your program to, to kind of, uh, you know, with your older guys to uh, get the younger guys, you know, understanding what, what it takes to play at the level uh, of football that we play and and uh, what we're all about and how to act and how to carry yourself and and uh, that's really something that's you know been a strength of ours I think through the years is is uh, when we get guys coming into our program our mantra is you, know, you will become us we won't become you and that that has uh, helped us through the years
0: i love that uh the opening week uh i I think it's always tough to go anywhere in in week one but you you had a disappointing result how how did you feel about the bounce back in the last couple weeks from your guys
3: i think very good um you know we didn't play well particularly on defense in in the first game And, and again much like the oregon state game last year the run defense was was what uh was lacking and and that's uh, an anomaly for us because we're usually really good against the run, but in those two particular games we weren't. But uh, we bounced back, um, got things rolling a little bit. Um, you know, had a, a decent showing down at uh, in Tempe last week. But but uh, we know the degree of difficulty gets higher this week. The Beavers are playing well; they're well coached, they got good players, and it'll be a big challenge for us.
0: What'd you see when you look at film of Oregon State and USC?
3: Well, good, great game. I, I thought it would be a higher scoring game than what it was. You know, going in, I think everybody did. They, you know, thought there'd be a little more uh, offense to it. But, but uh, you know, the thing that uh, really, obviously, hurt Oregon State in that game were the turnovers. If, if not for the turnovers, it's it's probably a different outcome. But, but uh, you know, I think Jonathan's done a great job up there. He's built that thing the right way, and uh, you know, I think they're definitely on an upward trajectory.
0: You know, I, we always talk about coaches learning about their teams. At what what game did you learn the most about your team?
3: Oh boy, uh, this this year I don't know. That's, that's a good question. It's just uh, been a a. Uh you know, a learning process pretty much every week. I mean, we, we learned the first week that, that we didn't uh, do a good enough job coaching in the run defense, and then the, the second week we, uh, you know, we got uh, the offense on track uh, even more so than the first game and put up a bunch of points Then against San Diego State. Uh, we took another step forward defensively, and and uh, Arizona State was a, was a good team effort. We, we played well on both sides of the ball, so I think we're heading in the right direction, hopefully, and, uh, you know, we're we're uh, still a work in progress i mean obviously everybody is just trying to figure out you know what we do best and and uh just trying to continue to compete week in and week out
0: what's the most part of the fun part of coaching for you is it game is it prep is it the game plan where do you have the most joy
3: I would say game day itself. I mean, that's why you're in it for the, the the competitive, you know, to be in the competitive arena and and to watch your guys perform on Saturdays, and and uh, that's uh, something that that uh, I've always enjoyed. I think as soon as you you don't enjoy game day, it's time to time to step down and get out of it. But but uh, the most rewarding thing about the job is watching these guys get their degrees and and come in maybe a little bit uh, of a wild onion and leave uh, you know a guy with a degree in hand and and ready to be a, a solid contributor. To society, so I think that's the most rewarding part of
0: it. I love the wild onion part. I'm going to reuse that. <laughs> Cam- he's he was so good last year. So I mean, I just I, I expected him to just continue. What is he doing well this year? What does he need to clean up?
3: He's doing. Pretty much everything. Well, he's protecting the football. Um, his completion percentage is up. He's uh, doing a great job as a leader. He's the leader of of our leaders. He's the alpha dog of the football team, and everybody looks to him. And I would say through four games, he's uh, been exactly what we need him to be. And and uh, like I said, he's he's doing all the things at the quarterback position that at least in our offense that we need him to do.
0: We are uh, now kind of examining the landscape of the conference. What do you see? In the Pac-12 this season, what's what's shaping?
3: I think there's a lot of teams that have improved. I think there's uh, it's been an uptick uh, for most teams. Obviously, there's some teams that are struggling, but but uh, I mean, you look at both Washington schools; they seem to be very good and uh, competitive. Both Oregon schools obviously are good. Um, you know, both both Southern California schools are undefeated, and so I think there's a lot of a lot of uh, you know, teams that have that have made uh, progress and and uh, are improved over last season.
0: Are you watching any NFL football, or are you so consumed with the college game you don't get a chance to see it at all?
3: I don't get a, a lot of opportunity, but I watch every opportunity I can. My son is a, a with the Chiefs; and yeah. been with the Chiefs for five years now, so that's obviously I have a huge vested interest in in them. And Andy Reid is a close friend of mine; we play college ball together, so so uh, definitely follow those guys closely. And and uh, anytime I do get a chance, uh, you know, Thursday nights is a good night to uh, check out an NFL game, and and uh, I'm very very much an NFL
0: fan. Did you stream that? Thursday night, I guess you did, if
3: you watched it, like, uh, oh, yeah.
0: you know, everybody was buzzing about it, what was your experience like, was it smooth?
3: I thought so, yeah, I thought it was pretty good, there was a couple glitches in the stream, at least at my house, I don't know if it was yeah. across the country, but but uh, it seemed to be pretty good, and, uh, you know, Herb Street, and you know, those guys did a great job.
0: Did you see, like, okay, so you watch the NFL, you watch college ball, do you see the influence of college football on the NFL more right now, or, the, or is it vice versa, is there more NFL influence on, on what you guys are doing?
3: I'd say vice versa. I think the NFL is uh, the standard, and I think uh, sometimes it takes us uh, here in college a few years uh, of lag time before we realize, hey, yeah, what they're doing, and you know, in one respect or another, is a pretty good idea. And we follow suit, and so I'd say that that uh, far more uh, the NFL sets the standard, and we uh, you know we pick up uh, on what they're doing.
0: You guys had a targeting foul. I mean, every season we see this kind of stuff, and you know, as a defensive guy, I know you teach it. It's hard to get kids to, uh, you know, in the heat of the moment to uh, to to do uh, what's perfect. What do you think should be happening with targeting?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, player safety is obviously first and foremost, but I think when they when they uh, are. Uh, implementing and calling and reviewing the targeting fouls, I think intent to me has got to be weighed very, very heavily. And when, it, like for example, a defender comes in to make a tackle and second, the the offensive player ducks down or, or changes body posture and and it's uh, incidental. I don't think that should be called. I think it's got to be intent where you hey you measured this guy up, you took a shot and it was obvious that you were you were you know using the helmet as a weapon and and going helmet to helmet. And I think there's a lot of things that are being Called where the the intent was not there, and yet they're being penalized.
0: I also I I cringe when I see kids that you know have to they're ejected and then they miss part of the next game. Or I, I feel like that penalty maybe should be looked at. Or you know like to your point, the intent of it feels like maybe maybe it should be hey you're lost for the rest of the quarter or you're you know you're lost for this game. But it feels like it's a little bit stiff.
3: It is. I, I agree. It's a, little, uh, it's a little bit too harsh. And, and again, I'm not trying to say, hey, let's back off and, right. and let it uh, become more prevalent. But uh, I think the NFL has it right. You know, I think the NFL has it right. I'd like to see us follow suit more of what they're doing.
0: Kyle Whittingham with us. Uh, they will host Oregon State on Saturday. You get a day game. Do you like a day game?
3: love a day game the earlier the better we'd like to kick off at 8 a.m if, if possible you know, we will we, we'll show up and you know just, just tell us when to be there and we'll, we'll be there but uh, the earlier the better there's you know so that's not realistic in the pac-12 obviously you get very few opportunities for that most of our games uh are uh you know 6 p.m or later and so we get used to the, the long days and and uh, waiting for kickoff but uh, we relish the opportunity to play early
0: you know i remember in high school and then i played some community college football like it was a big deal to play under the lights, right? We were all excited. It was going to be a night game on a Friday night or a Saturday night. Uh, But now, you know, you practiced in the daylight. Like, do you guys, like this week, uh, you know, your practice schedule versus kickoff time, do you do any adjustment there if you're playing a a late game, early game?
3: Not with practice, but we do with our, our meals and nutrition. You know, we'll get up and, and get them up early in the morning and mimic the the pregame meal time and get them used to, you know, consuming calories and, and eating uh, when we'll have the pregame meal on Saturday. And so if we do have a, an earlier game, we'll, we'll go ahead and get them up and get their systems going so they can, you know, kind of get used to it. I don't know if it does any good, but that's that's something we try to do. It's a theory at
0: least. At least you're trying yeah. something. You kind of got to do that. Can you remember back in the day, like, you know, all this body clock stuff? Like, it never... It didn't exist. Like, when you were playing in high school, I was playing in high school. It didn't exist.
3: You're right. You're right. And I don't ever remember, you know, having a, when you're that young, having anything bother you. But, but uh, yeah, you're right. I agree with you.
0: All right, Coach, uh, I really appreciate you giving us some time. A big crowd there. I've been there a few times. Uh, I will be there Saturday. So, uh, I always expect a huge crowd. What is it about the Utah fans? Like, they show up.
3: They do. They absolutely do. And, if, and, you know, back to kickoff time, if there's, uh, I, I think our stadium is a little, a little more raucous is that the right word, yeah. on, on and night games, you know, they seem to gear up for night games, and so that, that is the one uh, positive about a night game, is it, it seems like our crowd is even more enthusiastic, but, but they show up regardless. We've had 10 straight years of sellouts, and and uh, we increased our capacity last year to just over, I think it's 51-4, right around that uh, number, and, and you know, we're still selling out, and so uh great support, and uh, you know our, our guys love playing in front of the home crowd here at Rice Eccles. Coach, thank you. Okay, John. Great yeah. to visit with you. Appreciate I, you. All right. Take
0: care. Okay. Bye-bye. There he is, Kyle Whittingham, Utah football coach. Now I need to know, does Dan Landing answer in his own phone, in his office? Is Jonathan Smith answering his phone? I'll ask Jonathan on tomorrow's show. I'm going to text Lanning right now. Ask him, you picking up your own phone? Are, are you even texting? Like, hey, dirty little secret back in the day when Willie Taggart was posting to social media, the former Oregon coach, it kind of came out, and he's probably not alone, but it came out that somebody else was tweeting and posting for him. It came out, and some of it was scheduled. Like, I had some other coaches in the Pac-12 conference say, you know, that guy's not even tweeting for himself um, and point that out. But I don't know how big a sin that is, really. But Kyle Whittingham, you call him up, apparently he picks up his own damn phone. There you go. Oregon State is a double-digit underdog going to Rice-Eccles Stadium. It's interesting that it's a day game. Probably helps Oregon State that the Utah fans aren't going to be sitting around all day getting hyped into a frenzy. I also think Oregon State losing to USC probably takes a little bit of the, the oomph off this game for the fan base in Utah. I could be wrong. We'll check in later in the week with Bill Riley of ESPN Radio in Salt Lake City and and Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune. But feels like a little bit of the shine comes off the game because Oregon State has a conference loss already. But this is a big bounce-back game for Jonathan Smith and Oregon State. I'm really interested to see how they show up psychologically, how prepared they look, how locked in they look. Um, I expect that they will be. I also think Utah is the best team in the Pac-12 Conference. I think it's a tall order right now for Oregon State to go in there a week after suffering a loss against USC and now have to play Utah. But I think for the rest of the conference, everybody's kind of curious to see what happens in this game because they're going to use Oregon State to kind of gauge the Utah-USC game that is happening uh, just coming up here on the 15th of October. So it'll be really interesting to see how Utah plays against Oregon State, which team looks better schematically, what does Utah do. Really, really fun. Once you leave it here, Anna's going to join us next. You got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. You've got the home of
2: the truth. Back to the Bald faced Truth with John Canzano on seven fifty The Game.
0: If this radio show were a canoe, we would uh, we would be front heavy the front of the show today included interviews with Bruce Barnum Portland State football coach Jack Coletto the uh, resident uh, Jackhammer at Oregon State and uh, now Kyle Whittingham the Utah coach Anna's popped into the studio Sean raised a great question last hour Anna about Stanford and and granted look Sean has been on this earth how long Sean
2: 23 and three quarters years.
0: Twenty. All right, if you're doing quarters and halves, you know it. I turned 24 in February. (laughs) Our our six-year-old said this morning, we said, you're six? And she said, no. She said, I'm six and a half. So uh, that's why we're laughing. My my uh, son
2: who's seven, he's going to turn eight in like a week. He's been telling everyone he's eight for like the last month.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's looking forward. Then one day you stop counting, and that's when you know you've arrived. Uh, but I, I gave Sean some homework during the Kyle Whittingham interview. I sent him because he was asked, he asked why David Shaw is not in trouble. Because in Sean's lifetime, he's watched Stanford win and win and win and now fall off a cliff. They're in a rut. It is evident they're in a rut. So he asked right before uh, the four o'clock hour, why isn't David Shaw in trouble? My quick answer to that is historically, Stanford football has not been good. Um, you have the transfer portal, Nil. you had a pandemic. I think you know, Stanford is willing to give David Shaw, who went to Stanford, uh, a wider berth. Also, you know, David Shaw does some things at Stanford that that get uh, that the Stanford community love. Like this like a lot of universities need the football coach to win and show up at the banquet and shake hands with the big donors, and that's the job. At Stanford, that front-facing stuff that David Shaw does with the community and the alumni association and the the people who are important on that campus probably means more at Stanford than in other places. Um, Sean, during, I gave him some homework during the Kyle Whittingham interview. I sent him Stanford football history year by year. I said, just take a look at the wins and losses. I just I, I want to know what you got out of that, Sean, when you looked at that.
2: Yeah, it shows that from 2010, kind of the start of the Jim Harbaugh era, to 2018, in which they went 9-4, and four, was kind of the outlier. Um it's it's you know it shows the records before that. They were kind of average with a couple of outlier years. So man, I, I just grew up and it was Stanford and teams like Boise State and yeah. just there's some teams that were so good and now are just so average. And you know, like the same thing with Boise State. They were so good and the fans are upset there. And so we're calling for Andy Avalos to be fired. So I'm just wondering why it's not David Shaw because again these records I mean two thousand nineteen four and eight they did well during the COVID year four and two whatever and then the last couple of years have just been awful they're not even competing at the Pac-12 level anymore
0: I think you got to give him a little bit of room this year they've been disappointing but I also think when you look at that history you get an idea of like there's some success that has happened under Jim Harbaugh and, and David Shaw in particular that just didn't exist even with John Elway as part of the program they were good but they weren't great like they weren't top 10 in the AP poll like David Shaw had them a few times and they didn't go to three Rose Bowls in four seasons like David Shaw did. And so I think he gets a wide berth because of that
3: i wonder too uh how
0: how important is football to stanford because if you look at other schools in that sort of academic tier like they call stanford the ivy league of the west coast right i don't think of other ivy league schools and go oh yeah those are real like football powerhouses like stanford among them might be among the stronger you know football schools But I wonder if the interest and the enthusiasm for the sport has waned over time, especially as they have other sports that are coming up real high. Like, you hear a lot about Stanford golf, you know, and other types of sports. Golf, tennis, water polo, uh, you know, Stanford baseball, women's basketball, um, you know. And you look even, you know, I talked to Bernard Muir, who is the athletic director at Stanford. I talked to him in the summer. I was doing this thing on... Um, you know, Father's Day. And I was reaching out to a bunch of Pac-12 people and asking them about their dads. And Bernard Muir at Stanford was one of those people. Like, and it was really interesting to me, like his parents did not, they were all about education. They weren't all about sports. And it probably wouldn't have meant a lot to his father and mother that he was the athletic director, but it would have meant a lot that he was at Stanford. Mm -hmm. And that Stanford community, look, I grew up about, 30 miles away from the Stanford campus, maybe 35 miles away from the Stanford campus, it's a different place. You know, it is just, it kind of carries itself different. And I always looked at Stanford and thought, oh, they're a little stuffy and snobby. But now that I see it, I understand, like, they're plan for different stakes. And I think you hit on it. Like, I think that that whole, you know, all the Olympic sports do matter more to them mm-hmm. than other things. And, you know, they're busy going, hey, we uh, we're conscientious about the world and we're going to change the world. And, you know, we might invent the next Google and we might <laughs> do, you know, football is important to us. Right. But go to a football game at Stanford right now. There's not they're not selling out like, you know, they have hardly anybody in the stadium. It's a real problem. Yeah. At Stanford. So I, I think if it were if the football were more important, David Shaw would be in a lot more trouble. Mm hmm. Especially after last year, He went. For, what do you go four and eight last year, Sean? Like you got you got the numbers in front of you, like he and he looks like he's facing another sort of four and eight. But I told Sean this off air. I said, "Look, USC got Caleb Williams. Okay, Washington got Michael Penix. Oregon got Bo Nix. Utah brought Cam Rising in. These are there. There are seven transfer quarterbacks playing in the Pac-12 right now. Stanford can't do that." They can't academically bring a guy. They couldn't have got Caleb Williams or Michael Penix or Bo Nix or any of these guys in. It would have been really difficult for Stanford to get them in school and go, all right, you know, so Stanford is at a dis- little bit of a disadvantage playing the game of today's college football.
2: Today's college football, that's fair. Uh, they went 3-9 and nine last year um, with their last win being Week 5 against Oregon. They didn't win after that. But, yeah, yeah it just feels like they, they used to recruit really well. Like, you know, they had guys like Christian McCaffrey, guys like Andrew Luck, who I know were big recruits. They used to be at the top of the, the Pac-12 recruiting rankings, and now they're just not there. So, you know, it's, it, it feels like maybe it's NIL and Transfer Portal that they just – they can't quite keep up.
0: Yeah, it's it's a problem. But David Shaw brought this up on Media Day because we had him on, and I, I left the interview feeling like he knew something we didn't. He said he was felt like he was a tiger lying in the weeds. He said that, and but he I asked him about the transfer portal, and he said, on one hand, we don't. It's not accessible to us. We can't play that game. And oh, by the way, the whole NIL game that's being played by you know a lot of the uh, boosters and donors and stuff. The Stanford boosters and donors aren't down to play that game. So, um, you know, they're going, You're getting a Stanford education. Why why would you need, you know, hmm. you know, you're getting a scholarship. Uh like but conversely, Stanford doesn't lose a bunch of guys to the portal either. So what David Shaw has focused on in the last two years is he for the first time two years ago brought underclassmen into spring football. Stanford traditionally has not done that. Like, Mm -hmm. you've seen some universities, Oregon, Mario Cristobal, wanted to get those guys on campus and get them enrolled early. They were skipping their senior prom to get onto campus to play spring ball at Oregon. Uh, Stanford has never done that. Two years ago, David Shaw started doing it. So I think he knows he's at a disadvantage and he's trying to do some things, but um, I think you got some problems. And then you have, as I mentioned, you got Utah. Trying to play the same game you play with physical players, two tight ends, you know, win with big defensive tackles, and and Utah can get some guys into schools that, that, that Stanford can. I mean, it's just a fact. I think Stanford and Cal really do, I think, operate at a little disadvantage in the conference with academics being uh, a bigger obstacle. Sam in Portland's called in. Sam, what's up, man?
1: John, you know where I'm going to go with this, but I, so I'm going to try and be uh, nice about it. I'm glad we're having this discussion. You're having this discussion about David Shaw, and you know when when is too much. You know when's the time for him to leave because he's had some down years. I think four now. So I would ask you sincerely: If Barnum can't turn it around this year, he's a five and seven. You're, you're talking about
0: wait a minute. We're talking about Stanford here, and now you want to you're you're just giving me whiplash. I,
1: I want to talk about coaches and when is when is the time to move on from coaches i mean if we're talking about Shaw, let's talk about barnum i mean how does this guy start all right let,
0: all right let's talk about it let's talk about it all right all right stanford's got a home football stadium stanford has an endowment stanford operates in a power five conference portland state has to go out to hillsborough they have to play money games they have to uh, go play san jose state go play Washington, go play Arkansas, and then, oh, by the way, jump into your conference play after you're all beat up and go try to win games. I think it's really an apples to oranges conversation. I want to know, Sam, what is it about Portland State really that bothers you? Let's drill down on that. Like, let's be real, be authentic with me right now. What is, what is your axe to grind with Portland State?
1: Well, I don't have an axe to grind with. I mean, honestly. Nobody I don't else, have an nobody's axe to grind.
0: calling in. No, no, no. Nobody's calling in asking about Portland State. What is it, Sam? What did Portland State do that bothered you?
1: Well, I graduated from there. I don't have an axe to grind with it. What my frustration is that you, the, there's no consistency, especially when it comes to white coaches and black coaches. We've had this discussion many times. He had a 9-3 and three season. He had a 15-game le- losing streak. He had an 0-11 season. He should have been fired then, but everyone's making excuses. I'm a Viking. I want them to win. I hope I'm wrong, and I hope they go yeah, on I,
0: to win the not. It is not a black and white issue. You, you're not going to come on the show and try to make this about race. It's not a black and white issue, Sam. What
1: is it about then? How how does the guy still have a job? He can't win.
0: Here here's what it's about. Portland State doesn't have resources. They don't even have a home stadium. How do you think anybody could recruit to Portland State right now? They're playing out in Hillsboro. They don't have the support of their administration. They have to play payday games because they're supporting the rest of the athletic department. What do you want them to beat Washington? You want them to go win at San Jose State? You want them to beat Arkansas? What do you want them to do? And then they got to turn around and they got to play a conference game at Montana, a top five team in, in their division. Like it's a really tough ask. I don't know. Vince Lombardi wouldn't win under those circumstances. It's not black and white. It's about green. It's about money.
1: Well, I, I think we agree to disagree. I, th- I I agree with some of the things you're saying, but I think that, uh, you know, there's, you know, with all due respect, I think you make too many excuses for the program and where they're at now. A lot of those things could be overcome. And if you listen to Barnum talk, he, if you ask him, he's got the best team in the Big Sky Conference, and they're going to win every every weekend. So, at, at what point, John? I guess is what point do we turn the corner? Because there are a lot of Viking fans, not as passionate as me, to call in that are just tired of the losing. I mean, we remember. Okay, the, then. We, then what you need we, to do? We do we turn, turn, turn the corner.
0: What you need to do if you're tired of losing is the administration at Portland State needs to do more. The university president Stephen Piercy, its embarrassing—the support that he gives to, you know, to Portland State athletics. He shows up to the spaghetti feed. And shows up to one football game every season, like he's supporting the football program. Uh, you know the feasibility study that they did with collegiate uh, uh, athletic sourcing. That that feasibility study that they put out. You know it, they were looking at should we drop football? We don't have a home stadium or not. Like I I still think they're going to keep football. But this is a program that you cannot reasonably come on this show and try to compare the record of Bruce Barnum to the record of David Shaw and and frankly i don't think david shaw should get fired right now like i i'm going to give him a year or two more before i look at stanford and go hey it's time to make a change because david shaw went to three rose bowls and that's not about david shaw being african american it's about david shaw having some great success at a school that didn't have success historically how do we how do we get on this idea that portland state should be held to the same standard as a power five conference school if you're an alumni i would ask you like are you making a donation to the athletic department are you are you calling the university president and saying hey we need a stadium what can i do to help like at a power five university that's what would happen to spirited donors but i don't hear that i just hear a bunch of complaining and you know oh what are they supposed to do him during a pandemic like portland state can't even fire they can't even afford that